The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Man, it's been a lot of fun uh, doing this with you. And I got to tell you, I was surprised. You do your Spotify rap? Do you know that over half of you are listening for the first time, which is fantastic. We love welcoming new listeners. Welcome if you're here. Hope you had a wonderful holiday, Christmas. And uh, well, it's a good time to subscribe, right? Because we've got Dr. Karen Gordon on the podcast today. She is back. And today's episode is brought to you by the Highly Productive Leader Challenge. If you are ready for a very different 2024, a productive one, one where you get more done at work and have way more time off, join me at Productive2024.com. Do so before January 5 when registration closes. And also, today's episode is brought to you by Generis. Generis knows that while many churches take a one-size-fits-all approach to giving, there are several stages givers have to go through. That's why they've got tools to help you see that and navigate through it. Go to generis.com slash carry to learn more. Well, Karen Gordon is back and we talk about the top three issues facing high-performing leaders and couples, setting your vision drive and hitting your goals, not bad timing for this episode, and the keys to bouncing back from failure. Karen Gordon is a Wall Street Journal best-selling author and CEO of DK Leadership, a global leadership company that serves international firms like Coca-Cola and Magna. Her TED Talk is ranked among the number 10 most popular in 2022 with nearly 6 million views. She holds a doctorate in family and marriage and additional leadership certification. She's spoken to millions of individuals over a 25-year career, including CEOs, family businesses, leaders, entrepreneurs, professionals, and parents. She's also a media personality. She's been on Good Morning America, live with Kelly and Mark in the New York Times, Forbes Entrepreneur, and her book, The Three Chairs, has reached number two on the Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling charts. So, all that said, great to have Karen back, and we're going to dive into it. Pretty timely conversation if you're thinking about 2024. So I got a question for you. When someone asks you, hey, how are you doing? How do you answer? I talk to way too many leaders who tell me, tired, stressed, busy. And sometimes that's even during a season like this, the holidays, right? It's just not long enough. Now, I want you to think about a different scenario. Imagine starting and finishing 2024 feeling refreshed, ambitious, and on track to achieve your goals for the year. Maybe for the first time ever, you know, 92% of New Year's resolutions fail. Imagine having enough margin in your life to actually get the important projects done, to bring energy home to your family, to take a full day off, and actually have the life you thought was impossible. Well, here's the thing. In 30 days, you can redefine your work. I'm going to help you set personal goals and I'm going to help you prioritize your relationships by managing your time, energy, and priorities. Once you've gone through this, I'll tell you, it'll never be the same. So starting January 8th, I am hosting a four-week highly productive leader challenge to help you do that. It's a 30-day challenge of growth, goal-setting, and on-demand group accountability, live strategizing sessions with me, and more. It's just 60 to 90 minutes a week. That's all. That investment will pay back not just next year, but for the rest of your life. Join me at productive2024.com, but do so before January 5th. That's when I'm going to close registration. Again, that's productive2024.com and break your current patterns to become at your best. 
Well, and thinking about next year, Generis knows that a lot of churches take a one-size-fits-all approach to giving, but there are actually several stages to giving that a lot of givers go through. And if you miss it, you miss out how to really connect with givers. So it becomes actually next year for you really crucial to tailor the engagement to the distinct stages of givers. And that way you enable the church to embark on a journey with each individual. The generosity strategist team at Generis understands the needs of each of these givers as well. And they've developed some free tools and resources to help you identify them in your church. To take advantage of the tools or schedule an introductory coaching call, visit generis.com slash carry. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S dot com slash carry. Kind of like Genesis with an R, generis.com slash carry. Now, my conversation with Karen Gordon. Well, Karen, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. Exciting. Yeah. It's it, well, it's great. We talked a lot about your personal story last mm-hmm. time you were on, and we've gotten to know you. Tony and I have gotten to know you and your husband, Brent, a lot better and your family mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. But we thought we'd bring you back on and just drill down a little bit deeper. Yes on some of the things that we talked about. So I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to go back. You talked about your childhood, so we don't have to repeat a lot of that. Um, but when was the first time you thought you were a leader? Did you have an aha moment? Uh, it's actually a good question, Carrie. I don't really remember thinking I am a leader. I do remember being, a, as a teenager, thinking I have got to kind of start leading my own life and figuring out what, I, what it is that I want um, and where I want to go. I remember having those kind of thoughts as a teenager. And I mean, I really think now looking back, that is kind of the, the starting point of leadership, right? I mean. Well, you had that moment where you were diagnosed, yes. right? With that quote disability. Yes. And you're like, well, I better, and your parents were great with it. Yes. And you kind of had to go like, all right, I guess it depends <laughs> on me because the system's not coming to the save me. The system right? is not going to come save me. But I remember being 16 and being very, and starting to get real clarity on what kind of, where I wanted my life to go and what kind of things I wanted to do. Okay. That's interesting. What did that look well, like? Well, it started, well, ironically, it started when my dad picked me up at camp and um, mm. he picked me up at camp and I was 16 and he said, how was camp? And I said, it was good. And he, he said, well, well, you know, tell me about it. I said, well, it was good. I just, I realized a few things. He said, well, what do you, what did you realize? And I started uh, sharing with him some of these ideas and these dreams I had. And it was all kind of inspired by conversations I had at camp. And one of them was that I said to him, I'm like, I want, you know, 16 years old. I said, I, I really want to buy a cottage before I buy a house. And he goes, where did that come from? He's like picking me up. Yeah, at typical, camp. typical. 16 I know, little sixteen-year-old. Year <laughs> and I, because what happened was, I was at this camp, and everybody would go to their cottages on the weekend. And I, and we didn't grow up with cottages. I didn't even know what a. I didn't really know what a cottage. Your was. dad was a pastor. Yeah, my dad was a pastor. He didn't have the budget. We did, we did for not it. have a cottage. Yeah. And and it was a first. Uh-huh. It was a first kind of exposure. I mean, this is interesting, right? In terms of exposing yeah. yourself to other ideas and possibilities, it was really my first. Um, experience where I was kind of exposed to something that I had not really experienced. And my brain started to expand on in terms of kind of goals. So that was certainly one. And then the other one was um, once I realized I was starting to get some traction with my academics, I remember saying to my dad, I want to get my doctorate. Like I was, again, and I'm still struggling at school. It's not really looking too promising, but I started having these visions and ideas around where I wanted my life, like where I wanted my life to go and that it was going to be somewhat in a service to other people. I didn't have the clarity about what exactly was going to be, but 
it all started when I was a teenager, which is why actually I love speaking to teenagers because we think that leadership mm-hmm. is like a title and a role, which I totally don't agree with. I think leadership skills starts, you can start teaching it to children and it really is a mindset and you can actually start developing it actually quite young. But the first part of it is you have to kind of start leading your own life and getting clarity on your own life before you, we think that somehow we can kind of be a leader to anybody else. So very long-winded answer to say it started, I would start, I'd say when I was a teenager. No, it's not long-winded. It's helpful. So going back to 16, I mean, um, you didn't have TikTok. You didn't have Instagram. Today, I could imagine a 16-year-old saying, hey, I want to own a cottage before I own a house. But like, I didn't think about home ownership at all (laughs) as a teenager. And I'm a few years older than you, but not like 30 years older than you. So like, what what made that pop in your head? Or you really don't know? I really... I think it was just this I, this sense around, um, I started getting, once I, when I started working through my disability, and this is where my disability was like such a mm. gift to me, right? Like it really was such a gift yeah. because all of a sudden I realized that I, I started, you know, I had certain goals and as long as I could put my hand up and ask for help, I could actually start getting some traction on those goals. And so I started getting really excited about goal setting, just goal setting in period. And and so I think the idea around real estate was, um, you know, everybody, you know, everyone's, you know, I would much rather have a cottage where you can invite a whole bunch of people up and it's much way more social than getting a big house. And so like, you know, it's not very exciting just to go to somebody's house for the weekend, but it's exciting to go to somebody's cottage for the weekend. And so, so I think I just started kind of expanding my brain around what possibilities were kind of out there and then noticing with people around me going, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's kind of fun. So, so honestly, Carrie, I think it was just being exposed in that particular age. I was, it was very formative. And, you know, we, we, I think that, you know, children is formative in terms of like the development, but teenagers, adolescents, super informative, like formative years, where people are really understanding in terms of who are they? What do they value? What do they want? Where do they want to go? How do they want to serve? So as parents, if we can really try to help shape our kids in those formative years, it's very powerful. So I have 12 questions now. Um, (laughs) Let me back up a little bit. So you were, were you 13 when you were diagnosed with the the learning disability? Okay. You are, this won't shock you, one of the most driven people I know. Really? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. You're just like, go, 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 Mm. go. And you see something like your TED Talk and you go do it. And I'm wondering, did that come about at the time you were diagnosed as a response to that? Or were you a driven little girl in your first 12 years too? Like when you look back on that, where did that, I'm wondering, I guess the question under the question is, where did the drive come from? Where did the drive come from? It definitely, it definitely didn't, wasn't really there before I was 13. I worked hard. I did, I was always a hard worker. Like I, I always had very strong work ethic. And I remember, you know, having a little paper route and, you know, multiple babysitting jobs and working hard at my school. So I, I remember that part, but I really started getting traction in my life. I would say in my, in my twenties, when I really started to get clarity more about with where I wanted to go. But, um, I got, you know, to me, goal setting was so fun. It's so fun Mm. because the Mm. way that I see it is like life is like, we all have like this big white, big blank canvas. And we can paint this picture of what vision we want for our life 
And we can we can all design a different picture. We can all have a different different picture on, but we have to get clarity about what that picture is. And then we got to step on the gas. And so I think once I uh, started experiencing of how great that felt um, in high school, it's like okay, first goal was to be in the honors student. Okay, that's the first vision. Okay, let's step on the gas. Let's put my hand up. Let's kind of start getting some help. And I started kind of getting, uh, reaping the fruit of that labor. It just felt so great. It's like, okay, where else can I kind of expand the same formula? Um, and so I just started expanding it into whether it was with real, real estate or with travel or with finances and you can apply it to spiritually. You can kind of apply that so mm-hmm. many different areas mm-hmm. and you realize, wow, like life you know, God could have created us robots and he didn't. He gave us volition. And to me, this is the most beautiful thing about life is that we all get to decide with what we want that vision to look like. The problem is most people don't have a clear vision. I mean, you see this. I mean, a lot of people don't have a vision. They don't have a vision for their life. They don't have a vision for their marriage. They don't have a vision for even businesses. A lot of the business owners that we work with, it's like they're so reactive. And the problem is that if we don't have clear vision we don't know how to manage our time properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, those two are like besties. They go hand in hand. So we've got to have clear vision and then we need to be able to prioritize our time and energy to make sure that we're achieving it. So vision and drive. I, I want to drill down on that for a minute. Is that somewhat personality driven? Because, you know, I'm watching you. And I'm thinking of other friends who are so goal-driven. Craig Rochelle, very goal-driven. John Acuff, my buddy in Nashville, very goal-driven. Lots of guests on this podcast, very goal-driven. I would say in a play, I have a vision for the company, et cetera, et cetera. But I probably, I feel like I've stumbled into success, not, I'm very driven. I'm driven. I'm working on that. I'm working on getting healthy with my drive. But I feel like I've kind of stumbled into most of the opportunities. Like this podcast has become one of the main things I do. It was sort of an experiment on the side. It's like, oh, this would be fun to do. Let's see if I can do it. And, you know, I had no idea that it would become what it's become. The same with my writing, like my full-time job right now, what I do, speaking to leaders, uh, doing this podcast. That was all, I just kind of stumbled into it. It was like, oh, I'll do this first thing in the morning before my day job, see if it's any fun. And then I really enjoyed doing it. But like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I guess, on behalf of all of the people who are listening who maybe would say, I get it. Like there's a real estate friend I have who is so motivated and like he visualizes, I'm going to be the number one in the country. I'm going to be the, and I'm like, and you know what? He did it. He did it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't visualize stuff like that. So, so help me out here, doctor. Like, what, what, what do you think? Like, is this, is this just the profile of successful CEOs or what, what about people who kind of feel like they stumble their way into success if they're, if you call it Yeah. Well, I think that, I think a lot of people can uh, connect to that. I think, um, I think you can, I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, I don't think there's necessarily a right and a wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure, sure. And I think vision and goal, being goal-oriented is is very similar. I do see that quite similar, right? right? I do think that's very similar. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, the way that I describe it, at least in my brain, is, and it started, I guess, when I was a teenager, is I could close my eyes and I could see, I could see it. I could see where I wanted to go. Wow. And and then and then it was just a matter of okay if that's the picture that I want 
What are the goals and the action steps that I need to do to make that happen? You know, and so, Mm -hmm. and so it was, I think it starts with like a one picture in my brain. And then I kind of like would break it down in terms of the goals. So for me, most of my vision planning is during my prayer life. So Mm. God and I have a great time. We're like, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this idea? He's like, "Mm, you know what? Maybe let's kind of like, what about, what about this? And so we'll, we'll have like a back and forth kind of conversation that will kind of like, until I come like, yeah, that's, I think with where I want to, with where I want to go. It's very exciting, actually. It's very energizing. But most of my vision happens in prayer time, meditation. um, And when I'm incredibly quiet and still, it does not happen in my busyness. So it usually will happen when I am uh, either in the morning when I'm doing my meditation gratitude or it will happen when I'm in the bath, in the hot tub, or if I'm in the driving where I'm, it's completely quiet, which is, I think, why it's so important for leaders to create space to be quiet. Because I think a lot of times we get some of our best creative ideas when we can remove ourselves from the busyness. Oh. I completely concur on the solitude that and and the and quiet, quiet, the stillness. That's so good. So what? I mean, I think you know. I haven't really thought about this before, and I've had many goal conversation on on this podcast. But I think one of the reasons, and I've had, I've got annual goals and all that stuff that I try to hit. But I think one of the reasons is I want to make sure I'm not out punting my coverage. You know, with these crazy audacious goals. But I've seen you hit them. It's like, you know, let's do a TED Talk and it's one of the most downloaded of the year, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen you do that. But I guess, you know, part of me might be a little bit afraid of like setting a big goal and then not hitting it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So any thought for people who struggle with goals or or maybe, you know, would say totally respect what you're doing, not critical of it at all. But what about for those of us who would say, yeah, I just don't operate that way. And yet, you know, I think other leaders make progress in other ways. So I'm just curious if you have any other thoughts on that. If not, we yeah, can move on. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the thing with goal setting, I talk about this a lot in my book, The Three Chairs. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about goal setting um, because goal setting is actually one of, the, one of the best ways to sit in the middle chair, actually. One of the best ways to, is to learn how to effectively set goals. So what often happens with goal setters or with goal setting is people do one of two extremes. Either they're so afraid of set, they're so afraid of failure that they don't even bother setting any goals at all. Sure. Right. Or they set the goal that's too high and it's unrealistic. And then they're kind of almost setting themselves up for failure. And so I think the secret, in my opinion, to effective goal setting is is to make it, it's kind of the way that Google teaches their employees to do it, where it's stretching but realistic. So you can see it, it so, but it's pushing you outside of your comfort zone, but, but it's still doable. And then the other thing is being willing to ask for help. I mean, that was my game, that was the game changer for me, is mm. knowing I cannot do this by myself. So if this is really the goal that I want, who is the person that can actually help me cross that finish line? And so in all of the, in literally all of the big goals that I've ever set for myself or a company has been, um, this is the goal and who do I know that's already achieved that goal and I need to get them to help me. Like, How do you ask for help? 
Help. (laughs) (laughs) Very straightforward, Carrie. Help. Uh I don't know what I'm doing. Right? When we launched our marriage mastermind that, you know, you and and Tony are part of, I was like, I've never done a mastermind before. In Canada, they're not really a a thing. They're not a thing. I didn't even know where to mark what it was. possible. Right. And so, you know, and this is, but, you know, again, think about the mastermind as an example. Like I had never even heard of a mastermind and then I got invited to be in one in the U.S. And then I'm like, wow. So all of a sudden exposure, right? Same thing, like the way that cottage was now exposure to me when I was 16, you know, 49 years old, all of a sudden I'm exposed to what a mastermind is. You're like, oh, wow, I think I like this. This is actually pretty Mm -hmm. cool. I think I actually, I'd like to do a mastermind. Actually, I think I'd like to do two. So we launched the marriage mastermind, uh, which we sold out. And then we are launching a women entrepreneur mastermind and um, specifically for women in business. And so, but it's only because I was exposed to that that I actually even thought of that as actually a possibility. And then the next thing is put my hand up and who actually knows how to do masterminds really well and basically picking the phone and saying, I would love to learn from you. So, and I find most people are quite willing to help. That's been my experience. I I was going to say, yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of of very busy leaders who have a ton of inbound. Are there any six, because I I can see people taking notes right now and going, okay, I'm going to ask for help. (laughs) Any do's and don'ts on asking for help or whether to know, like, all right, I just met this person. Can I ask them for help? Does the relationship have to mature a little bit longer? Like, what are you learning about asking for help, do's and don'ts? Okay, good question. So in terms of, I would definitely um, ask for help from somebody that you have already established a little bit of a relationship with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's too, it's going to be too, like if you just meet somebody or you just sign up for, you know, their Instagram, you say, you know, I've had people email me, like, you know, direct message me. Can you be my mentor? But I've never even met this person before. (laughs) Right. Like, so, so, um, and so you want to make sure that you've got some, some bit of a relationship with, uh, so that'd be kind of the first thing. And then, um, and sometimes a lot of times they'll just kind of like give you, you know, like little baby steps or like read, read this article or go to this or sign up for this newsletter. Or, so I think, you know, any recommendations that they actually share, I think it's really good to kind of certainly follow through with for sure. Um, and, but I would actually start with really people that you actually, that you actually know. And if, if the, your resource has sources, whether it's books or articles, like power through it, a lot of stuff. A lot of the stuff that I've learned, it's like in my books, as, as probably it is actually for you as well. Do you find it difficult to ask for help? Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, the hesitancy. Yeah, a little bit. I'm a, l- a little bit of a loner, you know, and I'm learning to be networked. I'm, I've, I've got rich relationships, great friendships. Um, but yeah, people are, are generally willing to help. So I want to push that a little bit further because I think this is a, I have a lot of young listeners uh, tuning in. And so they, they're going to want to action this. So I think you dropped a really good point along the way and you just kind of said it casually, but I want to underline it. You know, if you're going to reach out to somebody, at least have read their books, right? Like if I'm, if I'm reaching out to Seth Godin, who I've gotten to know, I'm not going to be like, dude, never read your work. Can you help me out? Can you give me an hour of your time? Like, okay, read a few books, read the blog, subscribe to the newsletter. Yes. Uh, at least be cognizant. But now I want to take it to a real life case study. All right. I hope, and we can cut this out if you don't want to go there. But you're you're a few doors down from Robert Herchevec from Shark Tank, right? And he wrote the foreword to your book, uh, et cetera. So you got to know him a little bit, but suddenly you're at a party and all the sharks are there. 
and some of the dragons from from they're on on this nice lake north of where I live, where you live, and you know that's where like Cindy Crawford has a place down the road and stuff like that. So, you know, you've met them once at a party. That's not enough of a a grounding to reach out to you know, some of the sharks and go, hey, can you introduce me to Mark Cuban, who I don't think was there, right? Yes, no, Mark yeah. wasn't there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think, um, but you know what I, but what I did is I started following them on social media. And since I've started fo- uh, following them on social media, like talk about like little baby steps, right? right. So, um, and, and we had a fabulous conversation at the party mm-hmm. and they were all quizzing my husband and I about our business. I mean, it was like, it was actually mm-hmm. quite fun, actually. I felt like yeah. it was like, I felt like it was like, you know, an un, unscripted, you know, Shark Tank uh, uh, experience. But I started following on um, them on social media and and they some of them have actually reciprocated. So so it's interesting in how it sometimes can just start a little bit, but it is, but yes, you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, you've, you've, relationships are an interesting thing. And celebrities are, celebrities in particular are, extremely, extremely cautious with who they bring in their circle, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, we have several celebrity clients and that inner circle, man, does it get like super small and super tight. And so you have to be very careful about how you kind of protect and nurture those, those relationships. Okay, that's really good advice. So you're not hitting up Kevin O'Leary like, when are we going to write a book together? No. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, no you, definitely not. See, that is such a good thing because I've definitely seen it where somebody meets, you know, let's say a large church pastor, that kind of thing, immediately posts it to social as though they're their best friend or uses it on their website. And it's kind of like, whoa, hang on there. You know, that's that's a little too much, too fast. Okay, that was super, super helpful. Now, uh, speaking of Seth Godin, Seth Godin says a lot of people waste their lives waiting to be picked. And he always, you know, his constant refrain is pick yourself. And that doesn't mean pick yourself to be a New York Times bestselling author or whatever. What it means is ship your work, ship your work, right? Get it done. Um, I notice that you seem to do a very good job of just saying, all right, probably it goes back to when you were 13, right? Nobody's coming to save me. I got to figure this out. I've, okay, I'm not supposed to graduate high school, but I want to go get a doctorate. I want to own a cottage at what, 21, 22? 20. What was it? How close old? 20. Enough. Oh, gee, yeah, close <laughs> enough. Yeah, come on, let's go back. You're not even officially of age yet in a lot of states and you're owning your first real estate, right? So uh, the whole deal. Um, what are some keys to picking yourself? What are, what are some do's and don'ts when it comes to that? How to pick yourself. I think I know. Actually, I saw you that you put you posted that uh, that that quote from Seth, Go- um, which, which is so awesome. Actually, I love mm-hmm. that. I actually mm-hmm. was going. I meant to reshare that because I thought that was actually such a great one. I think it kind of goes back to like it kind of goes back to the message of my TED talk. It goes back to the mm-hmm. message of my book, The Three Chairs. The whole sense around worthiness. Like so many of us, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we think our worth is based on somebody else approving us first, you know, I'm okay if so-and-so likes me or if I get so many, so much like, and so to me, I think you just have to, the way that I look at it is we just have to decide on what is it that we, that we want and then, and then chase it, go yeah. after it. Like, don't, don't wait for somebody else. I mean, somebody else may not come. They may not. And, and why would we give all the power to somebody else anyway? Right? Like, mm. 
You know, like, so to me, I just feel like so much of everything of my life's work is around getting people to really understand their self-worth and to take hold of that white canvas and start painting a beautiful vision for themselves and start stepping on the gas. Hmm. Like, and no more victim mindset that life is happening to me. Like, start making your life happen is maybe another way of actually saying it. So I want to get to a couple of successes and I want to break those down. But have there been times where you picked yourself or you wrote a a vision thing on the board or a goal or out of your prayer time, your quiet time comes a vision and it didn't work out? And then when it didn't work out, give us an example. And then how did you respond in that moment? Because my theory is a lot of people try that. They're like, well, I tried to pick myself and here, Karen, it didn't work out. Talk about a time like that. And then how did you bounce back? So, um, well, the, the irony with this, okay, so there, there's lots of stories. I mean, goodness, this is, this is the, this is the funny part about this whole topic, Carrie, is that so many people who are quote unquote successful, everybody sees them at a certain, right? So people see me, you know, on TV or on, you know, live with Mark and Kelly or Mm -hmm. the TED talk, whatever. They don't see this backstory. They don't see all the rejection and all the failure. So when I started, when I started uh, my my first business almost thirty years ago, um, at a counseling practice, working with teenagers, and I remember I just wanted to kind of like start, kind of I wanted to one of the one of my teen clients actually she said to me she goes you should start getting into television. Mm. Uh, you understand young people, you understand how they work, and because you're so young, you should start doing television. So I thought, well, why not? Why not? I'm going to like produce a show. Why not? I have like no television experience and I have no television training, but why not? The worst thing that could happen is that it doesn't happen. And I think part of it for me when I first started uh, my business in my early 20s was I would rather have failed. I would rather fail. This is very much of of a philosophy that I have. I would rather fail than to, than not to have tried. Like, I don't want to be 90 looking at my life going, I, I, I just played it safe my whole life. Mm. So I think I just kind of came to the realization, I'm just going to go after stuff. Like, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And so, um, so I started, so I had my practice, I started doing speaking tours. I started actually, and then I got this TV show. Um, I started pitching to government for funding. Uh, I partnered with all the different record labels to get this music talk show actually up and going. But before I got there, I was sending out emails after emails after emails. I must have sent over 500 emails and letters trying to get funding and over and over again, the rejection letters just kind of got mailed to my house. I had no office. I was using a home telephone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. so, so, you know, but it was, um, it was, it was a real game of grit. And I did it for two and a half years before we finally got enough funding. And then we actually were able to kind of get the show off the, off the ground. So, so that would be kind of, I remember, I remember thinking, what am I doing? Like, this is like so much work and nothing is happening, but I just kind of stayed focused on this vision that I had and just kind of put my head down and kind of just kind of kept, kept going towards it. So I feel like that's a really important piece is the grit. So that'd be the first part. The second, I would say the biggest, I would say that one of the bigger failures, and this is kind of funny, is 
uh, around seven years ago, maybe it was eight years ago, I had this idea that, uh, okay, so we've produced one show. We've Now I do television. Our focus is actually in leadership development. Um, but I said to my husband, I'm like, why don't we create a show called Success Stories and let's interview all these amazing uh, celebrities on their journey in terms of to becoming successful, whether it's in business or sports or professional sports or um, whatever it is. And so we basically uh, created this show. And the irony with the show, Carrie, the success stories was a was actually a big failure because <laughs> we we never could sell it. We never sold it. We never sold. It's actually one of the only things we've actually lost money in in terms of business uh, ventures. We've 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 prof we've been profitable in everything except for this. And I'm like. What are the chances? What are what's the irony that we have we're, we've actually lost money with success stories? However, one of the things we learned in that we learned a very big lesson actually. We learned that before you create something, and this is really from a business entrepreneurship. Everybody who's an entrepreneur will appreciate this: is don't get ahead of yourself in terms of. Uh, whatever it is that you're creating as an entrepreneur. So I thought this TV show would be great. We could kind of sell it to market. We could maybe even license it to schools so they could actually use it internally. And our error was that this was an idea in my head that I thought would be a great idea, but it wasn't a proven concept. And it it didn't, it wasn't meeting a need in the marketplace. Mm. And so what that was, a, I mean, we lost a lot of money. And, uh, and so that was like, and I remember when we realized of how much money we lost, I remember just like crawling into bed and just wanting to like, I just thought I just need to like stay in bed for a couple of days. Like this one was just, it was kind of like I was grieving this loss. And then I, but I knew myself well enough. And for anybody who has had just bad feedback or like a big loss, I think there's something really how this is the psychology and, you know, in, in me and. I think it's helpful just to kind of allow yourself to grieve that loss, just allow you to feel it, and then make a massive list of all the takeaways. What's the takeaway from that loss? And then learn how to pull yourself back up and get back out there. Because, um, you know, it's the whole thing, as John Maxwell says, like failing forward. Like it was a massive fail, but I had a f I wanted to learn how do I fail forward? And so the failing forward, this is the irony of actually, the failing forward was realizing never create another product. Never create another product or another service or invest any other money in another business venture until I've talked to my audience and let my audience tell me what is it they need and don't put any money towards it until money starts coming in first. And so we actually took the same concept from success stories, repackaged it, redid it, and actually turned it into success intelligence, which is now our global leadership development coaching program that's used in seven countries, including Coca-Cola. And so, uh, so the very failure that we had, I would say the biggest failure we had has turned out it, we, we, we took the lessons and turn it into with what is now our one of our biggest successes. But man, I will tell you, that was hard. That mm -hmm. was really, mm -hmm. that was hard. That was like gut-wrenching, difficult. And from a, um, I mean, it's not just the money. It's the, it was the time, mm -hmm. it was the energy, 
it was like people are like, what happened to that? And people are like asking about it. So anyway, we still we still want to actually like load it up on YouTube and you know, now it can be kind of a free resource for everybody. But right now it's just sitting in my office. All these fabulous interviews, <laughs> professionally professionally done is wow. now sitting in my in yeah. So I think that to me was a really big takeaway. And that is that has served us very well as we're actually navigating and developing all kinds of other ne- ventures. All right, I've two questions out of that. Thank you so much for sharing. And by the way, this podcast, which has turned out to be you know decently successful, I had a, a video version of it because I thought video was the future. This was like over ten years ago, where I would release video episodes. I called it Leadership Trends with Carrie Newhoff, and it was like the lowest watch stuff, the lowest access stuff that we ever produced in that season. So I thought this is going nowhere. And then I put it on hold and I relaunched it as an audio podcast a year later and it took off from there. But yeah, what 500 rejections, that's a lot. I don't care if the math is off just a little bit. Why didn't you quit? Like, why didn't you just like say, you know what, I'm just going to get a job. I'm going to go work at a store or work for a company, yeah. I'm, I'm done. I, my entrepreneur days are, are over. Well, uh, it's a good, really good question. I just, I really believed in the mission and I think in the vision. And I think, um, you know, to Simon Sinek's work with who I'm a big fan, um, we really have to be really clear. Again, it goes back to vision and your purpose. And so to me, my vision, I had a vision with the type of work I want to do, but the purpose is to help people uh, become great leaders. That is that is authentically to help them become great leaders, both at work and at home. And that was so clear to me that I felt like, even though I got like punched, it mm. felt like a punch. In mm-hmm. fact, I remember when these rejection letters would come, and this is like back in the day where like, Everything is in mail, right? Like it's in, you know, I'm getting all these and I just had them all stacked up. And, um, and I remember I would get them and it, you know, it would be like, it, you always knew it was a rejection letter, right? Cause it's like a thin piece of paper, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not like a thick, you know, it's thin. And I remember I would just cry. I honestly remember I would just like open these letters up and I would just cry. And, um, and it was just like so difficult. And yet I stayed focused on my mission and my purpose, and um, and then getting some really good people around me. So I lived at home to the day I got married, and so I would often chat, chat with my parents when I got these rejection letters, mm. and they were great. They were just like, just stay focused, Karen. Just stay focused. And the other thing, you know, for, and this is really for entrepreneurs in particular. You know, it is. I do a lot of coaching, which is one of the reasons why we're launching this Women Entrepreneur Mastermind. Mm-hmm. But we, I do a lot of coaching with entrepreneurs, especially as they're kind of like starting up their idea. And it's very important that you realize and how can you uh, manage the financial piece of new ideas. And the reason why this is so important is because I had figured out the model financially as I'm starting up my businesses so that even if I did have no money coming in and I get lots and lots of rejection, I was still being able to put food on the table, so to speak. It, it, it's a lot harder to be getting all these rejection letters if not only you're getting rejection letters, but you're also not able to um, uh, put food on the table and you're just watching your expenses go up. Mm-hmm. And so I intentionally uh, set up the finances of, uh, my early businesses so that I never had to take out loans ever. That's great. Uh, 
so just to kind of take that pressure off, it's a, it's a, you know, and, and it, I talk to entrepreneurs about this all the time. You just have to know what kind of entrepreneur you are. Some people want to take out capital, just kind of like hit the ground. And other people are more of a low risk entrepreneur. I'm more of a low risk entrepreneur. I don't want to take huge chances. I want to be careful about those chances that I take so that if an idea doesn't take, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, and so I think you have to really kind of know what type of entrepreneur you actually are. So as you well. also talked about market testing ideas, right? Like you don't want to launch a product again unless you realize that there's some right. market for it. So yes. I'm I'm thinking about the masterminds, the marriage, and then the woman entrepreneur. Yes. How and yeah. pick another case study if you want, but how would you market test those before you actually launch them? Like, how do you know that you're 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 scratching an actual itch? Uh, well, this is where I got myself a mastermind coach to teach me how to oh. do this. Cause I, I didn't know, I wouldn't have known. I had, I, I didn't even know what a mastermind was two years ago, Carrie. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden I'm like now involved in like four. So, um, so I, I got myself a mastermind coach that basically said, you just have to test your own, your own community, your own network. So we've got a decent size, uh, decent size email list. And so I basically just threw it open to the, to our email list saying, I'm thinking of this. Who's interested? And then I started doing interviews. And it was really interesting. Well, the marriage mastermind was really interesting because um, I did not I did not think that was going to be a viable idea, um, it, which is interesting, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But because I didn't even come up with the idea. It was somebody, it was the business uh, mastermind that I have been invited to be part of in the U.S., um, it was people in that one that said, you need to start one specifically for business leaders uh, because you understand business, you're, a you're in leadership development, you understand the complexity of business, you understand the travel, you understand all how difficult it is for couples to have a really great relationship when we're when in, as a high performer. So I actually had the idea kind of given to me. And then I thought, well, I'll just kind of like do some market research with our own email list. And I was shocked. And not only was I shocked on how much of interest there was, I was shocked at how much money people would pay. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at, um, at how, what kind of experience they wanted, um, that it was going to be very, very intimate and very different. And so it's just, I mean, that whole mastermind has just been just an incredible, that's been an incredible teacher to me around, uh, or just around, around market research and let your audience tell you what they so want. So was that a case of you kind of tested and sold it before you built it? In other words, you, you put it out there in rough sketches and then afterwards it's like, yeah. all right, now we're going to build yeah. it out. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, I, exactly. I, so I, Talk to couples. I did market research, finding out exactly what do people actually want? What do they want it to look like? How much would they be willing to pay? What content do they want? How do they want it to be designed? How big would they want it? Um, and to really have a transformative experience with your spouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, and just kind of got all that data and then really expected people would want to be at like a five-star hotel or something. And then the word is like, no, we want to, we want to be at your leadership retreat center. Um, and so 
I remember getting off the phone with one of the uh, one of the first couples that that said yes, we were in. And I said to my husband, as you know, uh, Brent, and I'm like, Brent, I said, we got we got people that want to sign up. He's like, what? I said, yeah, but here's the deal. They don't want to stay at a hotel. They want to stay on property. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, he goes, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, let's build a glamping village. And, and so, did. you know, and we did in three months. And so we had 35 people here. Uh a lot of staff to kind of help facilitate it, but it was like what a what a ride. I mean, but that was a that was that was an example where that one really I felt like that really fell into my mm. lap. I didn't really chase mm. that. I did not I did not chase that one. That one really felt like it came right to me. Uh, but um, but that was a great example on let your audience tell you with what it is wow. that they want. That's great. Okay, so back to picking yourself, because I do want to ask this question. So my wife, you invited her yes. to go to New York City with a couple of friends, and you guys had a great weekend. And then it felt like last minute. So tell the story. You ended up on Kelly, uh, sorry, I, I don't watch TV, live with Kelly and Mark. There you go. Big show, used right. to be Regis, yeah. I guess, back in the day, that kind of thing, but really big show on ABC. Right. And um, it was a pitch. Can you explain how that happened? Like mm-hmm. what what happened? Yeah. How do people show up on TV shows, I guess is the big question. Yeah, how do people show up? So um, I've known the producers there for almost okay. 20 years. Talk about talk about a long relationship. You know, uh, you're really big into long-term yeah. relationships. I'm very big into long, like everything is about like long-term relationships. And, and so I've actually known the, uh, the head producer, um, and so wife that for helps. Does many, that go many back years. to like your time on Good Morning America, et cetera? Uh, no, that actually goes back to, uh, that goes back to another show that I used to be part of in Canada called the mom show. Okay. I was part of the mom show for five years and, um, and the host there was, uh, was from New York. Okay. And so I've maintained, I've maintained contact and friendship with her all these years. Um, but, um, but you know, it's a very, you know, with the, with television, you always have to make sure that it's actually the right fit. And so, um, but that ironically is, I had messaged, I had reached out to uh, to the producer just saying, FYI, I'm going to be kind of in town. And actually, you know what? Did I even, or actually, did they actually approach me? I'm trying to remember now. I I think I had I'd messaged them that I'm going to actually be in town. And then they, yes, and then they approached me saying, uh, can you actually pitch some ideas? Oh, okay. So I didn't even have to pitch the idea. Uh, they actually, um, they, they just kind of, they... They had, you know, because we we've known each other for for a long time. the The topic around embracing your age, which is what the topic was, was fun because I'm turning fifty this year, and that's why we were in New York to celebrate an early fiftieth birthday for me. Um, but that is a great example on just building relationships, building authentic relationships, and then you can kind of grow and evolve with your with your audience. Mm. That's really cool. So that's a 20-year relationship you know, that you've just that's a 20-year relationship. nurtured along the way and away you went and then you reached out. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm going to be in the city and away you go. Okay. And away I go. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. You coach top leaders and executives in the world. And definitely, I know we talked about this before online and offline. When you're dealing with a Fortune 500 CEO, often when you're backstage or at lunch or on a plane with them traveling somewhere, 
it sort of veers off business strategy and goes into, hey, my kids won't talk to me, or my wife and I are really not doing particularly right. well, or I'm worried about screwing up right. my family, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, hence the marriage mastermind, right? Let's make marriage better, et cetera. Right. Right. What are the top right. two or three issues you consistently get asked by high-performing leaders? Good question. Okay, so let's talk about the work. I'll talk about the work and I'll talk about the marriage because those are two those are two different ones. The biggest number one, the number one issue when I am coaching uh, CEOs of companies, very large companies, um, the biggest issue is around they ha- and this would not surprise you, Carrie, because it's totally wheelhouse too, is around burnout and their lack of time management. So in, in my book, The Three Chairs, right, when we talk about, you know, left chair, insecure, right chair, arrogant leader, middle chair, confident leader, one of the key things, when we're, when we're talking so much about being in the middle chair, the healthy, the healthy leader, the confident leader, the leader that has a clarity in terms of what their vision is for their life, um, taking action, um, on that. In order to do all of that, you have to really dial down your daily routine. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first exercises the, in the book, the first four chapters, I give examples on executives. of like, how do we do this? How do you, um, how do you have enough time? Because the thing about time management mm-hmm. is so interesting is that it's, we all have the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours. And yet how we all manage the time is actually quite significant. And all that, all the hours are weighted differently. And so one of the first things I do with, uh, with the, with senior leaders is getting them to really figure out how many hours do you need on strategy? How many hours do you need for delegation? How many hours do you want with your wife? And we actually start designing it for a very, what I call a high performing daily routine. Mm. Um, and time management is one of the, I know we've talked about this before the last time I was with you, but, uh, the leadership scorecard, the five core skills that, that leaders can actually develop time management is one of the, uh, one of the five. And so if we don't, if we need to have a vision, we have to have those goals, but we've got to be able to manage our time properly. Otherwise we, we won't know how to achieve those goals. And so that is one of the most important, um, tasks on the business side. Ironically, it's the same thing on the marriage. So in our marriage mastermind, when we when we talk about what are the biggest obstacles for high-performing couples, one of their biggest obstacles is lack of wow. time. So we have lack of time on the marriage side and we've got lack of time on the business side. So therefore the solution is we have to really get smart and really clear on how do we manage our time. And so if people want to kind of measure your leadership and your time management, we have our scorecard, um, dkleadership.org. You can get it for free, dkleadership.org. That's our website. And you can get our leadership Mm. scorecard. And it will measure those five different skills, including the time management one. Interesting that it doesn't go away. Isn't it that time management was an issue and, you know, okay. So that's the number one thing. That's the number one thing. And it probably only gets worse because your inbound goes through the roof. Your responsibility goes through the roof. So note to young leaders, it's like, all right, 
start drilling down on that right now because it's not going to get any better. It's not. And you know what, Carrie? We even, this is where all parents listening, you want to pay attention to this. Mm. This is the same issue I'm seeing with teenagers. How so? Because a lot of teenagers are struggling desperately with time management. And so we have taken the same high-performing daily routine that I teach in the three chairs, okay? All right. And we have modified it for our own teen boys. And this is the same process that we actually teach. When I'm coaching, I don't do a ton of coaching anymore for families, but I still do. I still leave a certain amount every week. And this is the same process that I teach for teenagers. Because if you don't learn how to do it when you're 15, then why do you think you can't learn it when you're 25? When life is going to go a lot more complicated. Has this escalated for teenagers? I mean, you've been working with teenagers for yeah. a couple of decades. I mean, with with some of some of the millennials when they were fourteen, you were dealing with them. Yeah. So, has this gotten worse, or is it just a perennial? I, flyer no, I think them? it's gotten worse because I think there's there's so many distractions. Yeah, there's so many distractions. They have things coming at them at all different uh, pl- uh, places and times. You've got extracurricular that has just exploded. And so- um, And, and then pressure w- from parents, the perform, pressure from perform, pre- perform. Yep, pr- pressure from parents. Then you've got also, um, uh, you've just got, and then, and then what's interesting about the time management, and this is where everything is so interconnected. Like think yeah. of these five puzzle pieces interconnected because the fourth one is on time management. The fifth one is around stress and energy uh, and emotion management. So here's the interesting thing about it, Carrie, is that if people don't learn learn how to manage their time, that will have a negative impact on their marriage, that will have a negative impact on their performance at work, and that's also going to have a a negative impact on their stress and emotion management. Yes. So 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 time management and emotion and stress management are like best friends. If you don't learn how to manage the one, it will negatively impact the other one. And so what I love doing is so when we coach companies, when we do team coaching, one of the first things we do with a senior leadership team is we get the team to take our leadership scorecard. It's actually very interesting, okay? So take the leadership scorecard. It's free. Anybody can do it off of our website. Take the leadership scorecard. And it's very interesting, depending on what age and what stage a person is, which of the different skills people struggle with the most. So a mm-hmm. lot of teenagers struggle with like more attitude and goal setting, okay? And maybe relationships. Middle mm-hmm. managers a lot of times struggle with communication, but a lot of the senior leaders um, and entrepreneurs and CEOs are struggling with, with the time management and then also stress. Mm. And, wow. and so they're all interconnected, but as, so regardless with whatever position we all have, uh, these are five skills all of us really need to kind of lean in into and start developing. Um, but it is interesting that it's the same skill that we can kind of see in all these ages and stages uh, that will either negatively impact us or positively impact in terms of our overall life. Okay. So just to be clear, the top issues, those seem to be interrelated, like Highly time related. management, yes. energy management. Yes. And I totally agree. I mean, you know, we wrote, I wrote a book on it, yes. right? Like time, yes. energy, and priorities, getting them working in your favor. Any others that pop up on a regular bra- basis with top performing leaders? For, okay. So definitely, definitely the time management for sure, which, and when that's not managed properly, then that's going to impact the stress. Okay. Stress and anxiety. Okay. So highly stressed, high anxiety. Yes. Okay. So those two are highly interconnected. Those would be the the two things. And then 
those kind of like almost cloud everything else because then all of a sudden, if they're not managing that, now you've kind of got burnout. If people have burnout, my biggest concern with burnout, as again, this is I'm preaching to the choir here, is uh, burnout affects people's decision-making. So that's my concern is that when people get close to that, all of a sudden their brain just kind of goes in this fog and they can't make decisions or they're making decisions that are not really like them anymore. Or they make terrible personal decisions. Yes! It's like, yes. I'm I'm going to do this stupid thing on the town that could lose yes. me my job I or I'm going to take an inappropriate relationship yes. with this person and like, come on, man. I know. I tell everybody, like, if you think you're like even got a few of the markers of burnout, please go see your healthcare provider. Get mm-hmm. help before mm-hmm. you start making some really bad decisions. And it can happen in a heartbeat. Really I remember fast. that in my burnout season. It's like, oh, this is how that happens. Like when you feel this way on the inside, that's what you do on the outside. And it's it's insane. And you know, it's interesting. I, I mean, one of my tensions when we started this podcast, you and I were chatting back and forth about, um, you know, drive and vision and goal setting. But this is an area that I'm actively exploring right now in conversations with friends and I need to take it up with my therapist. But I think I'm so focused on health and so focused on like sleep and rest and boundaries that maybe my drive has suffered a little bit in the last few years. Yeah. And I want to keep them in healthy tension. Like I think there's a really healthy ambition and a very unhealthy ambition. And I had so much unhealthy ambition in my 30s and maybe my 20s that I've sort of come out on the other side. And, you know, I do have a stated vision. I'm passionate about. I was excited to get to work this morning, excited to do these conversations, all that stuff. But like, I think you can almost get to the point where you're so balanced that, you know, it's like somebody kick me in the pants right now because I need to, I need to get moving. Right. So I don't know. My wife said, you know, Tony, well, she's, I'm like, sometimes I'll say, say, you know, I'm just worried I'm being lazy. And she's like, you are the last person on earth to be lazy, but you know, I don't know about that. Well, that's super helpful. And, you know, those are the same issues in ministry. And if you haven't, and it's funny how they they don't teach you that at Harvard. They don't teach you that at business school. They don't teach you that at seminary. You just end up there and you're like, I can't manage this. So what do I do? That's a real issue. Wow. Now, teenagers, my goodness, the time is flying. Uh, Let's, before we wrap up, I want to talk about teenagers because, I mean, even this past summer, you're with teenagers, you're with the friend, uh, daughter of really good friends of ours, building into her life. I don't want to give personal stories away, but like this is an active area and you're raising two, two amazing young sons, right? Who, who we have the privilege of getting to know. Uh, what are the issues that you're seeing in teenagers today? So teenagers, um, it's fun because, you know, I was a teen expert before I had kids and people mm. used to say to me, oh, you just wait you just wait till you have your own kids and we'll see how e- what, whether or not your philosophy actually changes. And honestly, I just pull out my own books and just read my own books. It's like, oh, wow, this is like, this is like really good stuff. So, you know, I wrote my Theory first book. Was accurate. Yeah, there you go. So I wrote my first book on teens like years ago, 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. And, um, and you know what's interesting, Carrie? The, the issues are the same. It's this, so they're the same issues, but there's additional challenges. And so the biggest issue for a lot of teens comes back to self-worth, which is why I did the TED Talk, Mm. which is why parents listening, I recommend 
watch my TED Talk. We've got free discussion questions you can have with your kids. We have it on our website, dkleadership.org. Uh, we watched my own TED Talk with our own boys last year for Mother's Day. It was like the best, the best thing. And we had the best conversation around self-worth. And so I would say that is kind of like number one. That would be kind of like the name. The, self-worth. Self-worth. Okay. So that's the first issue, self-worth. The second big issue um, out of that comes around friendships. Because if people don't have good self-worth, it comes back to the the three chairs that we're talking about, right? So Mm -hmm. if people struggle with either the left or the right chair, um, if they're not in that middle chair, they're going to be attracted to people in that left and right chair. And it's really important for kids to... um, to really understand the three chairs, because once you have, then you have a kind of a common language. Yeah, just give us the tiny nutshell again of the three sure. chairs, because we've referenced it a couple times. Sure. But so, a uh, quick summary is: these are the three chairs. This is what the TED Talk is about. People who sit in the left chair are uh, they are more insecure. They're not feeling so great about themselves. People in the right chair are more arrogant, cocky. People in the middle chair are confident, confident and humble. Um, and so, the whole book is around how to get ourselves in the middle chair. And those five kind of core leadership skills that I quickly referenced, that's all in here as well. Um, so, but it's really helpful for kids. Like when I was teaching at the camp for, um, uh, at Muskoka Woods this past mm-hmm. summer, I taught the three chairs to all of those grade 11 students. And the amount of students that came up and said, Karen, I understand what chair I'm sitting in. I understand what, where my friends are sitting. I now understand why I've had conflict uh, with certain friends. And so, so, Number one is helping our kids sit in that middle chair. That is the one of the greatest gifts we can possibly give to our children. Is to show them how we can help them get in that confidence middle chair. and humility. Yeah, confidence and humility. Uh, getting them, and once they're there, then they're going to be unconsciously attracted to the friends who also sit in that middle chair. Uh, so that is kind of a huge thing. And then the third one is really starting to get them to help them clarify with what their goals are. We do we do goal setting with our boys every single year. We've done it since they were mm. like little. And it's really quite fun to watch them do their goal setting exercise. And then they can kind of like track kind of they're doing with their goals throughout the year. And they actually like going back to looking over the goals that they set out for themselves when they were in grade five and grade six. Mm. And so, you know, showing kids how to do goal setting, really important, stepping on the gas. And then coaching kids also on their time management. So all of the same skills, Carrie, that we're trying to get leaders to do that I talk about in the book, all those same skills, you actually start teaching it younger to children so that it becomes kind of on autopilot, becomes part of their second nature. Um, And that is, I think, one of the greatest things we can actually help in in our kids. Last question. And I don't know that you can even answer this, but I got to shoot it up to see if it happens. Okay. Okay. Why is this so hard? I mean, we have so much information out there. You've written on it. I've written on it. Hundreds, thousands of leaders have written on it, spoken on it. It's not like, it's not like we don't know. Um, Why is this the perpetual issue? Stress, time management, energy management, self-worth. I mean, you know, maybe it's just like the diet industry. It's a billion trillion dollar industry. We all kind of know. Right. Should be eating less sugar and right. more protein and whole foods and that kind of thing, but we don't. Yeah. Um, wh- why is why is this always near the top of the list, Karen? Yeah, it's so. I agree with you, Carrie. Hmm. Like once I w- once I learned it, I'm like, this is 
this is kind of simple, actually. This is well, not- Well, I knew it, but then pain taught me, right? Pain, oh. like I knew it ahead of time. And right. then eventually I realized I'm not a robot. Right, 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 right. Yes, right. So, so yeah. So I think um, I was doing, I spoke at two conferences last week about mm-hmm. this topic. And, and I, we were talking about kind of, you know, what do we want? What's our vision that we all have for our business and our life? And then what are the roadblocks? And one of the biggest roadblocks- other than time, is people are like, people are so focused on, on watching what everybody else is doing. Mm. That, they, that there's FOMO, that there's, there's worry, that the, somehow that they're, um, that they're not going to be, like, it's, it's not going to kind of measure up, you know? Like, it's, there's still so much focus on comparing ourselves to other people instead of actually kind of like focusing on our own lane. And I think it takes, it takes time to be quite honest. It takes time. Like one of the things I love to do when we're doing this with teams is actually like take a pen and paper. Let's not just think about it. Take out a pen and paper and let's actually start road mapping in terms of what your ideal, your goals are going to be and your, your high performing uh, routine. Like let's not, you know, let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Let's action, let, 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 let's action item this. And, um, and I'm not exactly sure what holds more people back from just doing it. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a, there's still a very much of a a prevailing kind of victim kind of like, no, life is difficult. Like life is difficult and our culture is difficult. And it's like, yes, our culture is, but we get to decide on whether or not we're going to be part of culture or we're going to live our life counterculturally. Yeah, you're right. There's an agency issue under that in the same way that there's an agency issue under the fitness industry. And actually, for people who are committed to teaching spiritual growth and the Christian Mm -hmm. faith, there's a bit of an agency there too. You don't just absorb health, right? It doesn't just come to you. It doesn't seep through your pores. This is is a decision you need to make. Well, Karen, yeah. this is this has been incredible. Do you have a final word, final thought you want to share with leaders to encourage them, challenge well, them? I just encourage everybody listening, like just like Karen and I are talking about, don't just sit back and wait, oh, that was a good interview. <laughs> Take out a pen and paper, everybody. Take out a pen and paper and start thinking about your vision. What is your vision for your life? What is your vision for your marriage? What is your vision for your business? What is your vision as a parent? Um, and if you need some help in the three chairs, I've got like a way to kind of do it through the six P's. It's a certain goal setting exercise, uh, but don't just be inspired by this. Hopefully I'm hopefully you're feeling inspired, but take action because we only, ha- we only create change when we take action. Um, so that would be my encouragement. Oh, that's awesome. So if people want to learn more about you and where they can connect with you online, where would they find you? Uh, best is go to our website, dkleadership.org um, in Canada, or org is not a nonprofit, O-R-G, D-K stands for Dr. Karen, leadership.org. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn at Dr. Karen Gordon and also on Instagram as well. Okay, awesome. Karen, till next time, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Carrie.
Well, I hope you found that helpful. And guess what? We would love to help you get a little bit more. If you want some more details or some of the things we talked about, you can go to the show notes. You'll find it at kerryneuhoff.com episode 620. That's kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 620. Also in there, you'll find transcripts. And also, have you yet registered for the Highly Productive Leader Challenge? I am so excited about taking hundreds of leaders through this challenge in January. You can go to Productive 2024 but do so before January 5th when registration closes. If you actually want more margin and to be way more productive next year, it's a proven method. I've trained over 50,000 leaders. Would love to help you, productive2024.com. And also check out what Generis has to do. You know, you're thinking, okay, if next year, if nothing changes, guess what? Nothing will change. So if you want to figure out how to better walk with your donors, they've developed some free tools and resources to help you identify the stages that donors go through in your church. You can visit generis.com slash carry to learn more. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S dot com slash carry to learn more. Well, next episode, I got a treat for you. We have insights coming up from N.T. Wright. Granger Smith, John Deloney, Andy Wood, Jenny Catron, and a whole lot more because we are featuring a best of compilation of the Art of Leadership Network podcast episode. Did this last year. You guys loved it. And yeah, we're going to give you a sampler. And then we start a brand new year. We're going to spend January in church trends, talking with J.P. Pecluda, Gabriel McCullough, David Kinneman, Ryan Burge, Brady Shearer, John Mark Comer, also coming up on the podcast, Craig Grishel, Jamie Kern-Lima, Lee Strobel, and a whole lot more. I'm so pumped for next year. And you know what? You guys make this possible. When you leave a rating or review, when you share things directly, and you know what? We got all of our insights for 2023. Guess what? When you hit that share button and you text it to a friend, send it to a friend. That's the number one way people hear about this podcast. So when you do that, we grow and then we get to do this and bring you the very best guests week after week after week. One more thing before you go. We're full of free stuff today. Hey, it's the holidays. Have you checked out my newsletter on the rise? You can get it for free and I send it out every single Friday. And it goes out to 100,000 leaders. And basically, I share the best of what I found on the internet in that particular week. It's just interesting articles about faith, culture, the future church, and other topics I find helpful as a leader. You guys are eating it up. You can subscribe easily. You can also unsubscribe if it's not for you. You can go to ontherisenewsletter.com and you can get started today. We'll send you a free sample and then you'll be in the rotation to get the next one. Uh, send that out every Friday. Thank you so much for listening, leaders. Hey, it's been a privilege to do this with you. I am so excited for what's ahead. And I hope our time together today helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.